TED Audio Collective. Hi, Manoush and Jen. My name is Sandra. I am a 37-year-old mom. I have a toddler and a little newborn right now. Our lovely listener, Sandra, has a story that sums up a lot of the issues going on right now with life and work. Sandra is a mom and an artist working in the home decor and gift industry for the past 15 years. But over the last couple years, Sandra has seen her industry and her customers completely change. People are becoming more minimalistic, so they are getting rid of things and not consuming as much. How many cute mugs does a person need? How many cute socks does a person need? And so I am worried. Also, my industry serves the mom and pop shops across America, and those shops are all closing down just because everybody's buying their gifts on Amazon or just buying less in general. So to stay in business, what did Sandra do? If you can't beat them, join them. She decided to design stuff to sell on Amazon. I went over to Amazon and I designed my own product. I imported it from China and I started selling my vases on Amazon. And the whole process has just been very eye-opening because I private label my product. You know, it's my own label. Pretty entrepreneurial, Sandra. But Amazon has their own line of ceramic vases. Of course they do. So when Sandra runs an ad on Amazon for her vases, Amazon also runs an ad for its vases for free. Sandra is competing against Amazon on Amazon. And we know who's going to win that fight. I think it's massively unfair that I'm paying Amazon money to be on their platform and I'm competing against their own line and their line gets displayed on the front page, of course. So there's already like an unfair advantage. So here's Sandra trying to make it in e-commerce, quietly battling it out with Amazon. And she looks around and she has another more existential crisis. The whole process has kind of made me realize how I just hate the environmental aspects of all of this, just creating products from China, importing from China, and then shipping it all to Amazon. I just feel like, you know, am I making the environment worse? Am I just making things that are going to the landfill? Sandra loves designing gifts. She loves her job. But she doesn't want to contribute to destroying the planet. And, oh, did we mention that she's the family's sole breadwinner? Right now, we are a single-income family. My husband is a stay-at-home dad. And so I'm just trying to figure out what what the next steps are. Yeah. What are the next steps for all of us? I'm Manoush Samarodi, and this is ZigZag, the podcast about the changing culture of business and work. And we're back after a short hiatus, kicking things off with a look at how people are finding new ways to align what they value in life with what work requires. Because it's become pretty clear that our planet cannot keep up with the way that we have structured our economy. And just like you feel like you've won one battle, yay, Sandra's husband is a stay-at-home dad. Success for gender equality. But then you feel like you've lost another battle. Amazon is making it nearly impossible for her to pay the family's bills. Total marketplace domination. Fail. 
from the environment to finding work that fulfills you to corporate consolidation and providing for your family. Sandra, your voice memo kind of has it all, so thank you for sending it. I just want to make sure we can provide a good life for our kids, but just not sure what's happening. Well, a lot's happening, and some of it out of our control. As longtime listeners know, Zigzag is not a macroeconomics podcast. We explore the personal side of changing the ways we work and do business. From our first season investigating a weirdo cryptocurrency project, to our second season looking at the relationship between trust and information, to the third season that tracked the life cycle of an innovative idea and how one idea in particular impacted a small, financially precarious town. Well, now... We're well into our fourth season, can you believe it? And it's all about charting this movement towards a kinder, sustainable, collective path forward. And we're going to try to figure out how to make the best of what is in our control with our work and businesses, financially and personally. Because those things all work together. Who is going to advise us? Well, the ZigZag community. We're going to get the perspective from many of you, dear listeners. That has been one of our goals all along with this show, to build sort of a data bank of ideas and advice and input and questions. And so many of you answered a question that we posed a couple months back. How do you define success for yourself? What are your metrics these days in a world that loves to measure things and keep setting the bar higher? Tell you what you told us after a quick break. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. So you asked in the most recent episode um, how we define success. It's ZigZag. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And we asked you this question because the very notion of success seems to be up for grabs in society on lots of levels, especially here in the U.S. Just last month, members of the Business Roundtable, this is a group of nearly 200 CEOs from Amazon's Jeff Bezos to Jamie Dimon at J.P. Morgan Chase, together, they made a surprising announcement. Here was the headline on NPR. The nation's most powerful business executives have issued what amounts to a new mission statement. It moves away from the view that shareholder profits trump all other goals. Quote, Americans deserve an economy that allows each person to succeed through hard work and creativity and to lead a life of meaning and dignity. No mention of those CEOs actually giving up any of their salaries to help those deserving Americans. Keep in mind, the top 100 CEOs make around 254 times what their average employee does. But hey, at least they get that greedy is no longer a good look. Okay, so that's big business. And then there's politics. Donald Trump says success for the U.S. in the global economy requires a trade war with China. 
Somebody had to do it. I am the chosen one. So I'm taking on China. I'm taking on China on trade. And you know what? We're winning. Okay, whether we're winning, that's up for grabs. But on the other side, we are hearing all kinds of critiques and proposals from Democratic presidential candidates with their ideas to help the U.S. economy succeed. There is way too much consolidation now in giant industries in this country. That hurts workers, it hurts small businesses, it hurts independent farmers. My plan would be to, first of all, make community college free um, and make sure that everyone else besides uh, that top percentile gets help with their education. There's many paths to success. So I feel very strongly about the need to check the corporate consolidation and let the free market work. And I'll tell you this. I will single out companies like Halliburton or Amazon that pay nothing in taxes and are need to change that. And I would be going about eliminating Donald Trump's tax cuts for the wealthy. So lots of ideas for restructuring taxes and budgets. But some of us are beginning to wonder, do we also need to rethink the goal here in addition to the solution? Instead of dooming ourselves to serial disappointment and fruitless stimulus campaigns, we need to redefine economic success and failure. I didn't say that. That actually came from a Morgan Stanley global strategist recently. What if the period of constant growth is over? What if, instead, we need equilibrium? What would that look like? Well, it might sound like some of your individual stories— Because on a micro level, some of you are coming to similar conclusions. Hey, Manoush, this is Gabby. You asked the question what success looks like, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I just left my job at a multi-billion dollar company where I thought I was very successful. Gabby was one of 52 people in a sample that we took from our inbox. People who answered our question, how are you measuring and defining success in your life and work? Hey, Manoush and Jen, this is Aaron. And success, ugh, on paper, I look like a success or I, gosh, I hope I look like a success. This was not a survey. Our measurements are in no way scientific. This is a self-selecting, self-reporting group of podcast listeners, so relatively privileged. But our small group consists of 21 men and 27 women. My name's Bryce. I'm 23, and I work in tech in Boston. And what we heard is pretty revealing, and I think an indicator of where mainstream sentiment might go over the next few years, or even months. It is so important for me. At this point in my life, pretty much every single decision I make about my time and money is solely oriented towards quality. And I will be really, really strict for me by not spending money or attention in anything that I don't value up to my standards. There were five main topics that kept coming up, things that people associate with success. Money gotta pay the bills. You can want a lot of money and it doesn't mean that you're greedy and it doesn't mean you're gonna just throw money away on things, but it, it, money gives you options. Creativity, really important. I've been thinking a lot about how I define success. On one hand, the obvious measure is landing my next job, but I've also been writing a young adult novel, so success for that is getting more words on the page. In between my two kids, I took a break 
from my work. And now that my son is uh, old enough to go to school, I am itching to get back to work and be creative and get paid for it. Then there was time with family. Instead of being out in the professional world the whole time, I am home with my daughter and working from home. How I really measure success now is how attentive I can be to my needs, which allows me to be more attentive to my daughter's needs. Freedom and flexibility. I think successful is about autonomy. There are no outward measures of success, and this leads to going to a lot of therapy. And it feels much better than when I used to berate myself for not having a job in an office somewhere that I traveled to. And finally, coming in at number one, the most important thing our sample told us was doing work that gave them an opportunity to make an impact, to add value to someone's life besides their own with the work they do. I think it's so important to have a business that actually means something. For me, success is having an impact on my community. And it doesn't have to be global, worldwide or anything. It can be local. I'm okay with that. I define success by how my students are doing. Not just by their grades, but when they tell me something has made a difference something they discussed in class. Those are my successes. That joy that I see in a student where they come into their own and realize who they are. So people working hard to try to align work with values. How are you doing this? Well, some of you are starting by trying to bring people together in real life. I'm trying to make the change I want to see in the world by saving and revitalizing the local farmer's market and providing kids with a way to become ethical entrepreneurs and put down their phones and get hands-on. A group of ladies here in my town, just a few of us have gotten together and uh, started our own financial club. We call ourselves the Money Mavens, uh, which is super fun. And we just meet and talk about money and our retirement and all the things and learn from each other. Even if I'm a little bitty company, I still feel like I want to make a big difference in the world, but I want to do it on my own terms. It's called the Digital Wellness Collective. It is a brand new collective of people who care about living mindfully in the digital age. Others are rethinking what kind of jobs they're willing to do or setting up their businesses differently. I'm focusing a lot on how to create that culture, how to hire, how to set values, how to set a good example how to uh, not be part of this whole Silicon Valley uh, 120 hours a, a week kind of mentality. I've realized the idea of a career, a straight path, that's a human invention. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, I love the variety. I've zigged, I've zagged, and I couldn't be happier. And I'm sure we all need to pay the bills, but at the end of the day, we're only here for a little while. I graduated from nursing school when I was 40 and don't really care about what it is I'm doing and what people think. I'm just sort of making money to pay the bills, but geez, it's really nice when you can sort of make a difference in people's lives. 
Yeah, and that's not to say that any of this is easy. There were a couple of listeners who did have actually some specific methodologies or formulas that they're trying to stick to. I'm on a long haul trying to change the world, and it's hard to measure that. But if I can measure how I'm changing myself, uh, whether I'm being a little more patient, a little more generous, a little more creative, then I can see the tiny steps of progress I'm making the change that I want to see. I do have a system for measuring success, and that is a thing called the triple bottom line, which, if you're not familiar with it, is involves measuring things in terms of people, planet, and profit. It doesn't provide any obvious answers, but when I'm struggling with, with big decisions, it hopefully gives me a little framework, and that perhaps helps me to make slightly more successful decisions. I'm only buying in bulk stores or I'm trying to and I'm only interested in businesses that are ethical, fair trade. Most people say that this topic is something they are thinking about all the time, trying to balance financial needs and personal motivation. I was in a new country trying to make new friends in a new language and At the beginning of this year, my life didn't really hold much other than work. So when the work wasn't going well, the whole of life wasn't going well. It was incredibly tough to realise. Now, work's getting better, but I realised that I needed to have more in my life than what was just work. And so success has changed for me. My success this week was being invited to a barbecue and joining in at least one conversation in German. I am going to be a senior in college in the fall, and so I'm thinking about getting my first job. And I really hope to have financial stability, but a lot of my friends are interning right now at consulting firms or big businesses, and they're going to get job offers, and then they're going to make lots of money at their first job after graduation. And I uh, I want to have stability, but I don't want to compromise my values. I have a business myself, and I have, or I work in the media alongside that and it has been has been tough i started this business for completely the wrong reasons i started this business because i had no other uh, options for work and so I, i did it that way and tried to convert the business into something more that that aligned with my values but it's very difficult I'm satisfying all over the place. I feel guilty about not being able to do anything 100%, and I am exhausted. And this is supposed to be success. Oh, my goodness. This question made me question <laughs> my life choices, my job choices, and where I want to go and why I, why, why do we choose what we do and why, why do we try hard every day is it because we need that bonus or is it because we really want to do better to be better to work hard or to not work as hard and be more efficient (laughs) what is it i don't know i hope you guys find out listening to all of you there is this sense of questioning if there is so much money and wealth and opportunity in the world Why don't more people have it? Why does it feel like we end up working for people who already have made their billions from influencers who post on Instagram and end up doing work for Facebook in the process 
or Sandra at the beginning of the show, who is forced to find her customers on Amazon and then ends up handing them over to Amazon. We talk about values and work more than ever right now. Find your passion, make the world a better place. And yet those two things feel less aligned than ever for a lot of people. Just like the work we did on our other podcast, Note to Self, with drawing attention to the disconnect between our health and our online lives, we helped, with that podcast, make digital issues mainstream. We kind of think this is the next big societal conversation about to happen. Work, life, values, money, alignment. That's our thesis anyway. And I am so inspired by your stories and your thoughtfulness. We are indeed so lucky to be having this conversation together, for many of us to have choices. Because we have choices, it's our responsibility to keep talking about changing the idea that we only succeed when economies continue to grow at all costs. The costs have been clear. The well-being of our planet and our health. All right, I'll be back in a minute with my co-founder, Jen Poyant, to tell you about how we have decided to measure success here at our company, how your feedback and my particularly rough summer (laughs) have factored into that. All right, be right back. I'm a new mother. My baby is 15 months old, and I've recently become the sole provider financially in my household as of May, which I have never done in my entire life. So I feel empowered as fuck right now. Empowered as fuck. Fuck. (laughs) That's a pretty good way to measure success, don't you think, Jen? Yeah. Okay. It's ZigZag. We're back. And I'm with my co-founder, my Stable Genius Productions co-founder, Jen Poyant. And Jen, it's a little bit momentous because we are in our own studio right now. I am so excited. We're sitting in this. It's pretty small, but I don't care. I love it. It's our own (laughs) tiny, weird spaceship box. (laughs) We were saying that we're going to rent it out as a sensory deprivation tank. Maybe to make extra money if the business doesn't go well. But that's just a backup plan. It's good to have backup it's cool. plans. We, we think about these things. <laughs> this is people. So we've moved into a new office, which Jen has made lovely with, like, really vibrant plants, an awesome couch. You um, picked the couch, I, I just made it happen. Oh, you made it happen. But it was a like good choice. That. Everybody yeah. seems to really like it. Blue velvet. Blue velvet. It's a little bit creepy. <laughs> um, so... I want to talk about this idea of metrics for success because since the beginning of starting our business and this podcast, that has been something that we've grappled with um, from deciding not to go after VC money, from trying to figure out how to be part of a collective with Radiotopia, to doing Note to Self, which is our other show, doing that as for hire behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. We have experimented with a lot of different monetary versions, which is how you people exist these days. You have to experiment with all kinds of things. The question, I think, comes down to a very simple one, which is big or small. Yep. And where do you think we are with that right now? I think that we are coming closer and closer to admitting to ourselves that we want to be a lifestyle business. Why do we both look at each other and make that face when we say it? Like it's something shameful. I think it's because of the conversation we had with Matt and Alex from Gimlet. Oh, uh, you mean Gimlet, the company that was bought for $230 million by Spotify? Yes. 
That one. Right. That one where were they like, go big or go home, essentially. Well, they didn't say that. I mean, they were cool about it. They were like, you do you. Oh, yeah, they did. That's but right. Okay. This was a conversation we had. What, when was this? Episode three or it was four? About a year ago. Exactly a year ago. Here's the thing. There are people who start businesses, and they are like they're lifestyle businesses, and they their whole goal is to have more time with their family. And those people are optimizing for revenue, <laughs> right? Right, right. You guys are right. not optimizing for revenue. Cash. Cash. They're for optimizing, optimizing for yeah. cash. Alex right. always uses the word revenue to mean profit, and I'm like, it's not profit until you take away all the costs. They're optimizing for profit for money coming out of the business that can then fund their life. Yes. Right. 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 But they're they're but be, even before that, they're not thinking like, who are we going to turn away? We had one of the big Condé Nast magazines that wanted us to make their show, and I was yeah. like, we absolutely should not do this. This and is like, like a huge waste of your time. They're like, no, but they're like smart and cool, and like we'll just be part yeah. of it. And I'm like, yeah. I know, but it makes no sense. It's a waste of our focus. Yeah. And, but what do you I think mean? You, Why was it a waste of your focus? To that sounds great. Because Why we didn't want to make things that other people were going to own. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh well, yeah. That's well, key. that's yeah. key. Yeah. yeah. Unless the price were really right. Unless they were paying... Unless they were paying us a lot of money, which is basically still our position. Right. And the the difference is that nowadays there are people who will now pay more money to make it worth your time. Like, it is a great... Yeah, we created a market for you guys. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for that. We created a market for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) It was before they were bought, so they didn't fully know their own future. I mean, I'm sure they had designs on, obviously, in plans in the works by that point to, to get bought. But we didn't know that. And we talked about this idea of a lifestyle business. They were, you know, kind of prodding us to, as you do, figure it say out. Say it. Say it. I think they were prodding us to say it. I don't think so. I don't know. I think, but I there was a little bit of a, like, do you want to do a lifestyle business? A little bit. I mean, they were supportive if we were going to. It also kind of falls in line, I think, with the conversation we had at the beginning of season four, the zebra conversation. Mm, right. Yes. Um, You want to explain that? Yeah. So we interviewed these women that are essentially trying to start a movement where it's acceptable to build businesses that are kind of like the middle class of businesses, Mm. not billion-dollar companies, which are known as unicorns, instead zebras. If unicorns represent exponential growth, winner takes all, this zero-sum game mentality— We need to articulate what that opposite looks like. A zebra, it's not only real, unlike a unicorn, but it also is black and white. It can be both at once. It can be for profit and for purpose. We're somewhere along the lines or in the middle of, okay, so we want to have a lifestyle business that has a lot of impact because we are a media company. And we want to grow sustainably, and we want to be able to be around for our kids. We're extremely ambitious. We just are measuring our ambition in different ways. And I I actually want to thank a listener who sent us a voice memo, which I think you and I both cried. All right, well, teared up after we heard this. So I'm just going to play it. It's from Mohammed. Hi, Manoush. Hi, Jun. You guys are crazy, and you're making me crazy. Uh Today, I listened to last two episodes of ZigZag, and I was thinking the whole day about what could be the possible answer to your questions and like thinking about the ideas that you talked about during the these two episodes. Wow, that's very, very cool. Uh, it's your competitive edge. You can make people think and generate ideas and going through different aspects of some like new concepts that's so so cool that's a solid success 
our competitive edge. He nailed it. Nothing has made me happier than to read and listen to people telling us that what we do matters. People are starting to feel this stuff in a very real and tangible way, and that you're starting to point out that conversation in the same way you did with technology Mm. four years Mm -hmm. ago. And there aren't a lot of people that are cohesively saying it, but also inviting essentially normal folks, like normal people from all over the place to say, yeah, I feel that too, and here's how I feel it. Mm. So I think we're giving people the opportunity to participate in that conversation and not just feel like they're watching it all happen around them. And it's interesting. I think we're seeing some of the, I hate that term, but thought leader people who did point out the technology problems also start to speak about this. There was that op-ed that you and I both loved in the New York Times by Tim Wu, professor of law at Columbia who writes a lot about technology and science. Um, And what was it called again, Jen? The American economy is creating a national identity crisis. I just like that he says that essentially over the last couple of decades, we've defined ourselves, at least here in the United States, with two roles, uh, consumers and shareholders. And that's become the national gospel, he writes. And in effect, it has crowded out all the other roles that people have to play, which are citizens and family members and employees and business owners. And so... He feels like we've hollowed out aspects of our lives in service of being consumers and shareholders first and foremost. And I really feel like that's what we have heard in our inbox over and over again. Look, are most of these people working, as another article I read, one woman works this day shift at McDonald's. She goes home and sleeps for three hours and then go works at Burger King. Are we talking about those people? No. Yeah. I mean, I think the... the You point out so beautifully with Sandra. Sandra. Yeah, yeah. The woman telling her stuff on Amazon. Yeah. I mean, I would say she probably does fall into the American middle class, but her position is so tenuous. And she is so much at the mercy of one of the big tech companies. And I'm so curious to hear just, you know, whether or not people listening have similar experiences or feel like somehow their lives are being affected in ways that they didn't even realize by these big tech companies in that way, particularly in an economic way. I thought that was so clear mm-hmm. as an example. I think there there still is an American middle class, but it's we're at the mercy in a different way than, you know, what used to be stable jobs that were union, you know, had union benefits and you knew they were solid and you knew they weren't going away or going to shift because, Amazon decides to shift its profit model in some weird way, or Google decides to. Or it's build different. its headquarters and second headquarters in your town, yeah, and exactly. not somewhere else. Exactly. I feel weird wrapping it up on this note. Uh, but I had kind of a shitty summer, dude. Dude, you had a very strange summer. <laughs> Uh, So just to fill you in, I wrote a lot, listeners, of this episode while I was sitting waiting for my brother to come out of surgery. He had a bike accident. He's okay, folks. But he was just one of like a myriad of health problems and injuries that (laughs) happened to my family. They were all like bodily injuries. Yeah, it was like we were in a car accident together, but all separately or something. In any case, I, 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 I will protect the privacy of my family members, but I broke my hand. Mm. I was jogging and broke my hand. How do you do that? Well, you fall and try and catch yourself and then break two bones. But like I, you and I just, we had to laugh when I broke my hand because what was the first thing that the doctor said to me? He's like, 
you can't type. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Can't type? How is that going to work? That doesn't work in my life. It was like, if anyone, the message was like stupidly loud and clear and on the nose, stop running and stop typing. Slow down. Yeah. This was right before our hiatus too, basically like a week or two before. I mean, you still had deadlines you had to hit. Yes, you're right. I did. And you were in a lot of pain. I was. Yes. It's much better now. I'm still on the meds. But yeah. So I think for me, I realized, A, I have had a good run of luck. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have worked my butt off the last five years and not had a crisis. And like for them all to come at once, maybe it had to for me to make a bigger shift and like accept the lifestyle uh, label yeah. for our company. Yeah. I'm not sure I could have if this summer of crises hadn't happened. You think so? I don't know. You were that you were coming to it before all this stuff happened. You were. I I, know, the I Slack didn't. conversation we had about you asked me, does this mean that we're, you know, that we're moving towards a lifestyle company? Remember we had that conversation before that hiatus on Slack? I don't think it was before. I think it was, it was halfway through. Oh, my, maybe. It was halfway through all the injuries. Oh. From some emergency somewhere. I mean, I think that's okay. I, I really do think it's some it's somewhere in between. It's like not just a straight up lifestyle company. It's a it's a weird we're it's weird. A hybrid. It's a weird little hybrid. And as long as our listeners find it helpful. Yes. I mean and seriously helpful, like genuinely smart and like it like there's an impact that could help society in a in a larger way, then I'm okay. So let's make that our call out. How can we help you? We mean it. We really mean it because it's what we've decided to dedicate our business to. So email us. We are at zigzag at stableg.com. And next week is pretty cool. We're going to continue this whole metrics of success. And we're going to talk to someone who has a very specific metric, like really specific metric of success. We're going to talk to Dan Price. And we're going to talk about the moment that this CEO told everyone at his company, including himself, that they would all be paid $70,000 a year. Everyone across the board. So I actually announced it and no one really said much. And from my perspective, from their perspective, like I didn't get it out. And then I just like announced it again. And then like somebody stood up and started like screaming and clapping. And then everybody else stood up and started screaming and clapping. How the experiment with everyone at his company getting equal pay has gone over the last four years. I can't wait to hear. It's pretty interesting. So that's next week on ZigZag. We will be taking weeks off here and there, but we've been working on a lot of excellent episodes for you to hear this fall. So please keep checking your podcast feed, or better yet, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to the show. And be sure to also sign up for our newsletter. It's every other week, every other Thursday. We have behind-the-scenes pictures, links to all the stuff we talk about in the episodes, all kinds of goodies. You can sign up at StableG.com. We promise not to spam you. It's essentially it's helpful, it's right? like a really beautiful curated list of things to read. It's I really cool. I found the best summary about what's going on in Hong Kong. I'm going to put it in there. Oh, good. Yeah. Because there's a lot out yeah, there. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay. I think we should go. This episode was produced by me and you. Can we tell people to share the episode? Please? Yes, go ahead. Can you please, can you guys please share the episode with a friend or a family member that you think would get us? Please. It's the best way for us to grow. And while we are saying that we don't want to grow at all costs, uh, we do want to pay the bills and continue to fulfill ourselves doing journalism like this. 
Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio is our engineer and sound designer. David Herman is our composer. Maria Wartol is our production coordinator. And many thanks to Anya Zhezik for her audio engineering, too. ZigZag comes from Stable Genius Productions. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Anoush Zamarodi. Thank you so much for listening. And I leave you now with words from a listener named Daniel in London. We are proud members of Radiotopia from PRX. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and thank you so much for listening. I feel I should mention the ending to your podcast was very funny, which is good. I'm, I'm all for humor, but I was in the middle of doing, uh, I was in the gym, and I was in the middle of doing a chest press, um, trying to become all manly and, and things and uh it nearly fell on me because i was laughing so much at the end of your podcast and i think weirded out the rest of the gym never mind potentially cause myself some damage but i was fine uh, don't worry about me too much but the point is like it got me and i think if nothing else this rambling voice message should show support from one guy in london who thinks if nothing else, you're giving a opportunity for people to reflect. And that's, I think, really powerful if used in the right way. So if this voice note makes any sense whatsoever, thanks so much for listening. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>